You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. <laughs> It's Tuesday, August 11, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington in New York, joined by Real Vision Senior Editor, Tyler Neville. Tyler Neville, welcome. Ash, great to be here, man. Tyler, after all this time, we finally get to do an RVDB together. Yeah, I feel like we've done this a million times, though. <laughs> yes, we have. There's just no cameras rolling. Uh, I was taking a look at uh, some of your notes coming into this show. This is a wonk fest. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, pretty divisive, but uh, we'll see. I think I got some points. First of all, Tyler, wh where are you? Has the Colorado River swelled its banks, or is that an ocean? No, no. We, uh, we actually, you know, we're going COVID crazy in Austin because it's 110 degrees, and we got in the car and drove out to uh, San Diego for a couple of weeks. So, you know, we're looking at the Pacific this time. It's 110 degrees in my apartment when I shut off the air conditioner to film. Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> well, you're welcome here anytime. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> so Tyler, let's jump right in. What are you looking at today? Oh, well, I mean, I thought I'd start this out with a quote, um, kind of corny, but here we go. Tell me who said this. The major thing we look at is liquidity. Contrary to what a lot of the financial press has stated, looking at the great bull markets of this century, the best environment for stocks is a very dull, slow economy that the Federal Reserve is trying to get going. Once an economy reaches a certain level of acceleration, the Fed is no longer with you. The Fed, instead of trying to get the economy moving, reverts to acting like central bankers that they are and start worrying about inflation and things getting too hot. Who do you think that was? Well, I, I have the cheat sheet in front of me, but am I, if I had to give the hint, it would probably be like, is it a former Real Vision guest? Yes. <laughs> All right. What's the big reveal? Who was it? Druckenmiller said in 1988. So I thought that was the perfect way to start this because I'm actually kind of bullish. And I think that is, uh, you know, short term, you know, obviously we could have a major correction here. You know, bonds rallied, stocks rallied. Uh, that's possible intermediate to longer term. I'm actually pretty bullish. That's interesting. So what are you looking at? What are your data points that make you uh, have that take? Sure. So I'm kind of wondering, like, I don't know if you remember when the Great Recession happened, everyone was talking about the great rotation out of bonds into stocks, right? I think that might actually be occurring this time. So I have uh, three charts that kind of paint that picture. One is the US corporate bond yield. Um, versus the S&P 500 dividend yield. And we are actually at zero. So that's the gap between the bond yield and dividend yield, which has never really happened before. So you're actually getting paid to own equities. You have some more upside there. Then I look at the stock to bond ratio, which a guy from MacroOps put out, and I thought it was really fascinating. Uh, back in 2008, stocks underperformed bonds by two standard deviations. And since then, they rallied massively, right? The same thing is happening now. So, And just to point out, two standard deviations is massive outperformance. Yeah, in that, you know, in, in those two asset classes, correct. And, and it's looking the same. I mean, if we, we, we could potentially see stocks really outperform bonds here, 
I guess you could make the argument that they both fall and stocks fall less. Uh, but in that case, I think you're looking at complete chaos. Uh, and then in the last chart I was looking at is the world stock market cap um, rising above global GDP. So, you know, people are pointing to that on Twitter as a very, very bearish signal. Um, right now, we're just touching that line. And historically, back in 2006 to 2008, and, you know, again, in 2018, we saw that line get crossed viciously. And with the Fed at your back, fiscal policy at your back, and basically everyone in office, you know, pulling out all the stops, this could go a lot higher. And I think we're, you know, we could get into the, the mania phase eventually. Um, so that's what I'm looking at to, to paint a framework. Yeah, that's really interesting to talk about the last chart first. I think it's really compelling, you know, because when you think about what equity markets measure, really, it's a it's putting a multiple or a price on future economic output. And uh, it's a really stark reminder of that to see that that line is either above or below. And in this case, it's breaking upward. And when you look at the productive capacity of the global economy in the wake of coronavirus, it's hard to feel bullish about the, I don't know, pick your time horizon, three, six, 12 month output uh, of, of economies, except insofar as the output increases on a quarter over quarter basis is just, you know, a swing back, a rebound from the devastation that happened the quarter before. Totally, totally. And then, then, you know, to take it a step further, I think everyone's looking at this market and it doesn't make sense to them. The economic data doesn't make sense compared to where the stock market is, et cetera. But they're also looking at it, you know, through a political lens and not a demographic lens. And I keep saying this, it's like, this is a country run by, you know, baby boomers. It's a ger gerontocracy, right? Biden's 77 years old, Trump's 74, Pelosi's 80, Mitch McConnell is 78. Do you think they're going to let bonds fall? If they let bonds fall, then what happens is, you know, unfunded pensions don't get paid. You know, it, it's a Trump's rich friends, you know, <laughs> blame him. You know, it, it's, a, it's a whirlwind of a economic hole that could destroy the system. And I think the question everyone wants answered is, why is issuance so big and yields aren't rising, right? That's what people like calling that are very bearish they're like, oh, yeah, watch out. I've seen this story a million times. Value investors, look out. Uh-oh. You know, things are going to crash. I've seen this a million times. But why aren't bond yields rising? I mean, can, can they answer me that? And, and I got a couple stats, right? High yield new issuance for year to date was $263 billion, which is up 79% year over year. And yields and spreads are basically at their lows or close to it. And then in the first six trading days of, days of August alone, Corporates raised $75 billion in debt, which is a record. And so I, I, I don't know how to reconcile that, except, you know, people calling for a sell-off in assets when yields are so low. I just don't get it. So what's, uh, let's talk about that. So what's your take? What's your feeling? What accounts for this weird mispricing? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com.
honestly, I think boomers are forced to invest in fixed income, right? You're supposed to own your age as a percentage allocation into fixed income. So the older and older they get, the more money goes into that allocation. Um, and what we're seeing really is they're investing higher up in the capital structure. This is a financial uh, you know, chicanery that I'm talking about where it doesn't make sense from a valuation perspective. All it makes sense from is financial engineering perspective. So that's where like they don't want to invest in new ideas right now. I, I call it you know, secular stagnation. Peter Thiel calls it secular stagnation. But like they would rather just be higher in the capital structure and take less downside and invest in new ideas. And the supply of new ideas is actually pretty small compared to the amount of capital that's chasing. You know, why else would yields be at record lows? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's, is it worth pointing out uh, what's happening in inflation? Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's the interesting thing. And, and right now it's like a frog boiling in a pot of water, right? So inflation's rising, yields are staying low, break-evens, you know, the perfect chart for that is break-evens versus nominal yields. And we saw a wide gap in that, you know, in the past couple of months, which basically shows the Fed is artificially suppressing the price of money, right? And then, yeah, that's the chart we're looking at right now, which shows the yellow line basically taking off uh, and the white line rolling over downward from about, uh, well, it looks like about zero spot eight down to uh, another 20 basis points lower. Yeah. And t today, you know, in the market, I think the real story was real yields or yields are becoming less negative. Right. And that, you know, everyone's getting scared of this inflation print tomorrow. I think that's already priced in and it caused a massive sell off in gold and gold miners and silver. You know, these things have been up, I don't know, silver's up 40% in the past like two months or something. Of course, it's going to be volatile. But I, th I thought that was the main driver. But my main point generationally is they're going to keep nominal yields low and just hope that, you know, boomers don't sell out of bonds and they'll just take the, you know, the dollar devaluation. Which, which leads to you know, one of the final charts we had talked about. And I formally believed in Brent Johnson's milkshake theory. I was a big dollar bull. You know, I thought it was just a sucking sound of, of global liquidity. And and Tyler, for people who haven't seen uh, the Brent Johnson thing, could you do just a quick overview of what Brent Johnson's milkshake theory is, dollar milkshake theory? Yeah, essentially is the U.S. is the, the premier capital market system. And relatively, we are the cleanest dirty shirt. So capital is going to come into the U.S. markets, um, forcing the dollar up. As that happens, you know, emerging market currencies and economies get actually nailed. And they have a lot of, of debt in emerging markets. I think it's like $10 trillion. So it causes this massive kind of margin call uh, in emerging markets that forces money into uh, the U.S. U.S. market. I think that's flipped now, given that the federal deficit has blown out, and we are now in. You know, I mean, this is probably a bit extreme, but the Weimar U.S., where we are going to blow out the deficit, we're going to print as much money as possible to keep these bond rates low, and. You know, the chart that I, I you know, talked about shows the relationship between the dollar and the, the deficit to GDP. And that's 
probably likely going to follow. I don't see, I think we have, we are having the credit crisis right now, you know, but I do also think that the fed and global central banks are going to print over this thing. I mean, $20 trillion in, in global stimulus is pretty, pretty intense. So, you know, if, if bankruptcies are higher than that, I'd get concerned. Honestly, I'm also a trader. So if things start flipping and we do see some credit stress, I'm not just going to sit there like as spreads widen and policy, you know, gets a little iffy, I'll change my tune. But for now, like, I think people are kind of overreacting and, you know, the biggest risk is in to the upside. You know, Tyler, so many interesting points there. Let's let's unpack it all a bit. Let's pull back up the dollar uh, federal deficit chart and just talk about that for a second, because it's striking visually when you see that rollover heading uh, down, whatever the number is, minus 16, minus 17 percent uh, on a fiscal deficit to GDP ratio. Now, obviously, this is a, a double whammy here because you have uh, you have fiscal stimulus uh, to support the economy when you have uh, in the middle of the COVID crisis. And you also have GDP rolling over. And when you put those two things together, it looks, frankly, nightmarish. Yeah. I mean, on the surface, it does. But, you know, either I'm wrong and the market has, you know, is just delayed. I I tend to think that the market's telling us something right here, which is, you know, the supply of, of financial assets is actually small compared to the amount of dollars chasing this and the amount of dollars being printed. I mean, twenty five percent year over year M two is is crazy, you know. And I guess my my point being, and here's another interesting thing about gold miners and, and why you know it's it's pretty bullish for gold miners. Gold miners are down, you know, down today big, but the supply of gold versus the relative assets ch- that are potentially chasing them is astronomical. So we have. Say it's $100 trillion in, in institutional assets and $250 billion in the 10 largest gold names, gold mining stocks. You know, if, if 1% of that $100 trillion goes into gold mining stocks, that quadruples the top 10 biggest market cap gold mining stocks. So, like, my point being that there's a massive wave of capital that can move in as they're destroying the dollar. Yeah. You know, once again, so much good stuff there to talk about, uh, starting with the dollar. So uh, DXY spiked up to almost 103, I think, in March uh, at the outset of the COVID crisis. And it's just absolutely rolled over since then. It's down uh, It's down 10 points to 93, uh, 93 spot seven, I think, right now. I know we don't have that chart, but uh, uh, believe me when I say it, it's not been a pretty chart over a, sh- a relatively short time horizon in the last five months, different than the secular longer term thesis for the dollar. But in the short term, the dollar has gotten just absolutely battered here. Um, and then, you know, to your point about, uh, about the miners, you follow these markets much more closely than I do. Let's talk a little bit about the big picture, which is spot gold, and then the relationship of the miners to spot gold. What are your thoughts, big picture, on that? I mean, we're off 5% from record highs in, in spot gold, right? And here's a great tidbit. Predium Resources uh, recently came out and they said their free cash flow uh, free cash flow for the year was achieved in the first six months of their earnings. So these, these miners are printing money 
as is. Earnings are going up, margins are expanding, oil's still relatively low historically. And you know, gold is still off its its all-time highs. So all these things are, are just kind very, very, very safe relative to you know other assets, I think. So Tyler, we've given uh, a great data dump here. Let's bring it together in terms of context. You know, you traded at one of the largest long income uh, funds in the country. What are you thinking pension funds are thinking when they look at this market in the context of secular stagnation? The famous phrase made popular uh, by Larry Summers, basically a time where the actual mechanics of the economy uh, cannot uh, be be helped, I suppose is the phrase, except through manipulation of financial markets and instruments. Yeah, I think pension funds are probably thinking I've squeezed a lot of juice out of the public markets. You know, they've put a lot of money into bonds and they're getting little to nothing out and inflation probably is scaring them a little bit. I'd imagine, you know, you're going to see more people moving into the private markets, honestly, private equity, um, and, and that's what I think when all those private companies start going public and you get that big supply into the public markets, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm looking out for. You know, we've seen a lot of IPOs even in this coronavirus, but not to the extent where the supply of capital, uh, will, will cause that to stop. Um, so, so I think, you know, to answer your question, probably more in equities and they're going to rotate, you know, out of bonds, really. Like I don't see the risk reward of bonds when inflation is actually rising this time. Um, but we'll see what happens. So that's really the heart of your thesis, isn't it? It's a secular long position in U.S. equities vis-a-vis uh, fixed income markets. I mean, yeah, that's, I think we're going to see a blow off top. Like if, if this was the blow off top in the middle of August and, you know, I, I worked at Franklin Templeton on, you know, bear markets are built on uh, skepticism, rise on optimism and die on euphoria. Like, I don't think we saw the euphoria yet at all. I mean, right. there, there's, I mean, believe me, I, 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 there's things, indicators short term that bother me. The put to call ratio being at, you know, record lows, retail traders, you know, getting in the market. But I don't, you know, there are things that are on my radar, but like until, like I said, until credit spreads widen and, and baby boomers in policy, I think it's going to be a policy mistake if they decide to let the bond market go. And as long as rates stay low, credit spreads stay low, I think we're going to get the great rotation into equities. And that's going to be the story. The supply of growth is so small and the capital, the amount of capital is enormous. That's my bottom line. Yeah. I should probably correct myself when I said secularly long. You're you're a trader, man. You're a trader at heart. You think of things tactically. You're always happy to change your position when the data changes, uh, you know, and to and to take the opposite side of a trade if you think that that makes more sense. A- absolutely. I mean, you you got to be especially when policy drives so much these days. I don't see how you can't you can just sit there. Um, there's very few things that you know, I feel comfortable sitting in gold miners. I think even if gold falls, it's going to fall less than, you know, a lot of other assets. It's going to retain its purchasing power. And, but I really don't, I really don't think that that's going to happen. But Trump came out today and he said he's going to lower capital gains and they're pulling out all the stops right now. And, and this thing's not going to end until you get a flurry of, 
and the feds at your back, right? Like they're buying corporate bonds. Come on. You know, <laughs> it's, it's crazy land. I agree. But like to people, the other thing is like, we, we are not really a free market system anymore. You know, it's, that's also the bottom line. We're, we have more in common with China than after this whole you know, scenario. And I don't think we're going to go back to normal. It's states, you know, as soon as, uh, look at Trump pulled an executive order to, to reinstate these, uh, unemployment benefits. So I, I, the gerontocracy, as long as they're in power, I think this is a bull market, but longer term, shorter term, probably, probably a little bit concerned on a, a dip here. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, you know, when you said gerontocracy in your note, I, uh, I actually looked up the average age of the Supreme Court justices, couldn't do it, so I did the calculation myself. It's getting close to a seven handle over there uh, in the Supreme Court. It's like 60, 68. You know what? It's, it's, I'm, I'm not, it is what it is, right? Like, it's, it's bound to happen. I think the policy, once policymakers start changing and aging, you know, we, we could see a lot more volatility. I mean... AOC came out today and, you know, was talking about a, a billionaire's tax. And there's, there's, here's the thing, the data behind it is millennials actually favor socialism over capitalism. And we are in a long-term cycle of, you know, globalization's kind of ending. Uh, capitalism is probably receding in, in the way we know it. Um, and wealth accumulation is turning into wealth distribution. These are all the things Kirill Sokolov talks about. And these yeah. are term cycles, and we're probably heading into more inflationary environment. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You know, it's interesting about the AOC story and, and, you know, you can come at this from either direction in terms of the morality of a billionaire's tax. Uh, I'm sure our, our viewers are going to be divided on that. But the interesting thing to me is that AOC was proposing this at the state level, at the New York state level. These are literally the most mobile people in the world, right? If you put a prohibitive tax on being a billionaire in New York City, uh, everybody's going to be joining you in Austin at the drop of a hat, right? I mean, the marginal tax rates uh, for top earners in New York City are about 51% right now. So you're not even a majority shareholder in your own life uh, if you're a high uh, income person living in New York City. And the idea that they're just going to sort of sit around and, and pay uh, an additional 20% surcharge, uh, that's something that's going out there for uh, you know, for whatever theatrical value, I guess you could say, I'm not really sure it's going to diminish uh, deficits materially at that level. Uh, it's just, it just seems like it's a complete non-starter, which is separate from the issue of actual, the broader fiscal question at the federal level, whether, you know, taxes should be more progressive or less progressive or whatever your political take on it is. At the state level, it just seems like, it just seems like a total non-starter to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the snake eating its own tail, right? I, I, and, you know, however you feel, I'm, I try to remain politically, you know, in the middle, but it's, it's hard these days, but you know, AOC, how does she fund the police and firefighters? How does she fund teachers pensions? Like at, I don't know, you know, like if you're not getting it with, you know, bonds at bond yields at record lows, you got to do some funky stuff, which is why I'm like, they'd rather push this thing up and fund all these pensions and, and worry about the inflation 
than actually let it break. You know, and, and there's going to be it's, it's just going to be an epic, epic thing to watch over the next you know five years. But you know, that's part of the reason why I moved to Texas. Joe Rogan moving to Texas. You know, no income tax. I think if you're looking for growth and innovation, you're going to those places that want to have real free market capitalism and not, you know, weird, weird stuff going on, even though I'm in California and it's absolutely beautiful here. Yeah. 13.3% beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, absolutely gorgeous. Listen, in the in final minutes we have remaining, touch on something that's right in your wheelhouse as a trader. We talked about uh, asset classes here. We talked about fixed income. We talked about equities. Uh, we obviously talked about precious metals and mining stocks. How do you think about asset allocation in the context of the environment that you just described. In other words, when you think about making this uh, something uh, that people can think about in their own lives, what are some of the things that you would think about in that context? God, I mean, it's the gazillion dollar question. I, I think what, what I will say is what you don't want to do is go to like a robo advisor and just, you know, leave your money and get it sprayed all over in weird things. You know, personally, I'm looking for stores of value. Um, you know, Bitcoin, I don't know if you caught this news, you being Mr. Cryptocurrency, but there was an institutional uh, fund that put $250 million of their treasury in, in Bitcoin today, um, and which is just kind of incredible to think about. You know, they're gaining, you can make the case that the yield of Bitcoin is higher, much, much higher. Like you could sell puts on Bitcoin and, and I think make 30% a year if you're bullish on it. Um, so stores of value, I think, are very, yeah. really strong. And, you know, personally, I like, I like new ideas. I like things that are actually going to grow, smaller companies that are going to grow. The one thing I tell all my buddies, if you're, if you're at a giant bureaucracy that's, you know, playing not to lose, you're going to look back in 10 years and probably say... You know, I wish I'd, I made a move earlier because people are getting disrupted faster than ever. It takes five guys and a subscription to AWS to create a billion-dollar software company these days. You know, yeah. and it's it's things are changing massively. You know, you you could say that's massively deflationary, but you know, I don't know. I, I just I like stores of value and things that have potential for for yeah. real economic growth. Well, look, you know, when I was a reporter at CNBC 10 years ago, what we're doing right now would be completely impossible. And totally. that is, uh, you know, that's a that's a that's a kind of a, a statement or a commentary on the infrastructure that the network has built that, you know, high speed broadband and uh, applications, uh, uh, software as a service uh, and uh, and and things like AWS have provided to the world. So you can have a business uh, and when uh, your subscribers go from 500 to 5 million uh, you just have Jeff Bezos turn the switch for you and you're scaled. That's something we've never seen before uh, in the history of the world. And while it's easy uh, to get you know, cynical or pessimistic about some of these bigger macro trends, uh, that is definitely a, a broad-based cause for optimism and, and a place where we're going to see growth. Uh, and uh, there are going to be people who are going to be hurt by this. And that is really difficult on a human level uh, to see working people who are getting, getting whacked by, by macroeconomic choices. But the flip side of that is for people... Uh, and obviously not investment advice, but for people who are interested uh, in finding places where there is yield, where there is growth, um, th there's just there's just a wealth, a plethora 
of companies uh, out there doing interesting, innovative things that wouldn't have been possible uh, 10 years ago, and in some cases, 18 months ago. Yeah. If you, My, look, if, if you look at every hedge fund right now, they're, they're playing Series C and Series D of these, these private companies. You know, yeah. Tiger, Tiger Global is on the cap table of like, you know, every really interesting company. And they, they realize there's not much juice to squeeze. Like, you're, you're along the things. There's a couple companies innovating. And I really believe, like, who wants to own a bank? Like, you have huge credit costs, right? Like, those are going skyrocketing. And the yield cur curve is flat. Like, and, and collapsing net interest margins, right? At every turn. I mean, maybe they're making some money on, you know, you get some fixed income volatility. You know, that, that was up on, on bank, bank's earnings last quarter. But, like... You know, the IPOs, if they go booming, yes, they'll start making money again. But like the old bread and butter bank, you know, I want to start a fund someday that basically is long Bitcoin short giant financials. It's like the easiest call ever because I don't unless, I don't know how that reconciles. We're long gold short financials. But why, why would I own a financial? It's growing, you know, we have a demographic cliff going on. No one really wants to borrow money when like asset values are like kind of skeptical. I mean, if you look at housing, actually housing, the median housing price is up astronomically because 30 year mortgage rates are at low. So, so that's a little contradicting, but your, your net interest margin is smaller. Yeah. I mean, you get my point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I, we, I wish we had more time to talk about long, short uh, fund ideas because that, for precisely the reasons you pointed out. Uh, there are all of these opportunities, and some of them are the flip side of the coin, the, the catastrophe on one side and the opportunity uh, on the other. By the way, that firm was MicroStrategy uh, that you mentioned earlier. It's a, it's a, a NASDAQ-listed software company. Um, so a lot of interesting points in this, a lot of interesting data, a lot of uh, controversial uh, ideas and topics. It will be interesting to uh, view the comments on this one. Yeah, I... Uh... It's going to be, you know, half the people are going to love me, half the people will hate me. But uh, I think this is a good one. Hey, exactly. listen, talking of comments, uh, I got a, we got a comment yesterday. Someone said that uh, I look 10 years younger without my beard. And uh, my mom screenshotted it and texted it to me like 10 minutes later. So I guess like the moral of the story here is you can't fight subscribers and your mother. Beard is obviously gone. Totally. And I love the shirt. You feel very uh, summery right now. Yeah, it's like 115 degrees in my apartment. So uh, getting ready to turn the air conditioning back on. Happiest moment of my day. Nice. I'm going to go jump in the ocean. Yeah, I'm jealous. Tyler, thanks for coming back. We'll have to do this more often. Of course, Ash. Thanks, man. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.